everything as welcome to a new episode of the Practical Practical Podcast where we talk everything and it's joining me on today's episode. It's Jose. Jose, how are you doing? Hello, man. How are you doing? Uh, hi to everyone. Like, very glad to be to be joining here. So I didn't manage to make it to the state. Like, I'm in Madrid right now. I didn't manage to make it to the stadium because honestly, those tickets are insanely expensive. But I'm still looking at the vibe. You know that somebody like there's a Madrid fan like in the center that get got angry at me because he saw me with what he thought was an Aleti shirt and it was like a PSV. It was a PSV shirt. So that was that was kind of funny. <laughs> Well, I believe you are lucky because you know how crazy fans can get. I think maybe you would have been sent off. I think we can all remember the, I think the Barca game where Aleti fans were sent off for putting on Aleti shirts sitting where Barca fans were supposed to be sitting. Yeah, so people people get crazy. Then uh, this week I also went, uh, I was, te- like as I was telling you before the pod, like I was, go- I went uh, to the Metropolitano on Wednesday to watch the game against Rayo. It was, uh, it was already like a very, it was not the best Aleti performance, really. Like they got the game for, like they got the they got got the good win and everything, but it took a lot more suffering than you than you'd expect. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think um, basically, I think the fatigue of accumulating so many matches in little in fewer days kind of kicked in. And if you are taking away the amount of goals Rayo considered against Aleti and Aleti club, which is basically eleven goals, I think you have them as the second best defense or even third best defense in the league. So Rayo are not easy because just before playing Aleti, they played against Real Sociedad and Real Sociedad is true. They kind of have issues with trans creation and need firepower, but they kind of created nothing. And you yourself can remember the game you guys played against them at the Benaba one. It was not quite good, but I'm kind of sad you were not really in the stadium because you were at the Metropolitano and we won and I was just thinking if you were at the Benaba, then obviously we could have could be maybe i have i have good luck like every time i go to the metropolitano you get like i i get some like really fun like remontadas in there like i remember like two years ago i went to like that uh aleti valencia game the one where like valencia was winning two like bordalas's valencia was winning like two zero in the first half and then they flipped it over in the in the second half that was very fun yeah, I think I think we have had some good remontadas in the Metropolitan where I think you have that of Athletic Club and that of Valencia, which was really, really great. I think that was a period where he most was basically crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is that I cannot say this in a Real Madrid podcast, but Real Madrid fandom in the stadium is just so boring. It's it's a bit the same culture as like the New York Yankees where like it's just a very quiet, aristocratic crowd, you would almost say. Like, they just don't support that much. While you go to the Metropolitano and the whole stadium is on fire. Well, uh, Valetti fans are kind of crazy, passionate. They are club in a crazy kind of way. I believe um, you have seen the video of what happened when um, Real Madrid kind of knocked out Valetti in the Champions League. I think that was basically the last season in the at the Calderon and then fans were like going crazy and everything and it's not kind of, it's not kind of surprising you saying about um, Real Madrid's atmosphere I think it also affects if I'm not mistaken the fact that um, Real Madrid kind of um, banned I think the ultras who were kind of really really doing a lot of things which were not really really good yeah 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 so in some ways that does like now what's what's there instead of the uh, instead of the ultras is more of like almost like a family 
like, like a family group that they still make noise, but of course it's less, it's now less crazy. But yeah, so as you were mentioning, that I think the fatigue has been a big factor for Aleti. We've already heard like Cholo's statements on what he thinks about the schedule and how pissed off he is about he is at it. And I think the lineup selection for the Madrid Derby also like also showed that he was thinking more about the Copa game than about the league game. Yeah, and just touching on, on the atmosphere thing, I think Cholo kind of agrees with you because he was saying before the game that um <laughs> the atmosphere at the Bernabeu would be similar to that which Aliti experienced in Saudi Arabia, which basically <laughs> more spectators than fans, so I think that goes to say uh, all about the atmospheres at Real Madrid and maybe Barcelona games because I don't think the atmosphere there is all that crazy as compared to the likes of that at San Mames, the Benito Villa Marine, and even that at the Metropolitano. I guess those are stadiums which I think you have all you have been there. And um, getting back to what you talked about, Cholo's mind, I think despite him maybe saying that um, there are many more games left for. Aleti to play and then we'll see how the season goes. I believe in his mind he's kind of thinking um, it's kind of difficult for Aleti to kind of compete for the league at this moment. Yeah, we are 10 points behind Real Madrid. The win yesterday would have meant uh, that would be 7 points. But given Aleti's away record, I don't think and also I'm sure he has accessed the squad and knows about the weaknesses because I think given some of the players you have at time kind of condition how you approach certain games because the way he, I believe, he wants to play, he does not have certain profiles, especially in defense, to do that. And then I think he believes Atleti's best shot at silver where this season is basically the Copa de Rey. And it's true, you have a mountain to claim playing against an informed Athletic this season. So that's kind of one to keep an eye on because it's just two days from today. Yeah, so I do agree that, that I think that was a bit of the focus. Because, I mean, when I saw the starting lineup, like, my first thoughts are exactly... And which is what I was asking you, it's like... Why is Roro starting? Why is Saul like still playing? Why like those little questions? And I think you addressed it very well with like, yeah, he's thinking more about the Athletic Copa semifinal. Yeah, I think um, I, don't, I don't think uh, you have made a lot of friends mentioning Saul because I think he's kind of like I don't want to say untouchable, but you have this thing that given he's from the academy and all and all. Um, you speaking, let me say, saying the truth about what he is at the moment, kind of triggering nerves within Aleti fans, and then you kind of have like negative reaction because I believe Saul is well past this team, and I believe the team has outgrown him and what he offers. You already have players who can offer that, and the things the team need from him playing as an interior, I don't believe he can offer that at the moment, and it was visible yesterday at the Benabao. So it was really, really bizarre seeing him starting such an important game. But then again, and like we said, the main, main focus was on the midweek clash and having someone like Barrios fresh for the game against Athletic Club is basically key. Yes, and and that's the th- like the thing with Saul is that it's not even you you can see him and it's not like lack of trying. It's not like he's not engaged. It's just like I think this is all like all his football can do right now. Like in in other words, it's not like. He lacks the willingness. It's just he lacks the football at this point. Exactly. I think I don't want to see my eyes kind of bled, but bleed, but that was basically similar. Let me say similar expression to what I would say. Trying to see him play through passes with and not on just playing them because he saw a run and did not really have everything into context. It was kind of really, really bad because it's like he's giving away possession. I think that's been the theme in the last two games. 
and then when he does that you have him going and taking i think he's basically the most elite player after savage was yellow cards because after doing that you have him charging and then fouling the player and all that stuff like you said it's not like there's a lack of trying it's just that he doesn't have anything to give and and as bad as it seems and i want more elite academy players but if he's not he i just believe at this moment i think it's a time to maybe in the summer to maybe say goodbye like a friend of mine tweeted yesterday saudi arabia will be, be a good retirement plan for him yeah and the other and going to other academy players i wanted to know like what were your thoughts on like Coke's game yesterday and Coke's level lately because honestly Real Madrid are not a pressing team right so they well they try to press and then it and it never really does that much to the opponent so I I think it was a game where he had where Coke had the opportunity to be a bit more impactful and ball progression and everything and then you look at the numbers and 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 at the game itself and he just had a very quiet game he's I just feel he's been less influential lately so what are your thoughts on that um well my thoughts are when you watch an analytic game I think Coke is basically important to how analytic plays there's no denying that but how he starts a game is very key to how he will be influential in that game if you watch the Barca game, I think the first two minutes were a little lose the game because that's where you have players like Hemoso Koke giving the ball away needlessly. And if you watch yesterday's game, I think there were two instances in the first three to four minutes, if I'm not mistaken, where he kind of gives the ball away under pressure or kind of loses the ball, but it was recovered by Witzel, I think. But I think that kind of set the team for his game. And I think that's been an issue for him in the fact that I don't believe like his mentality. I will not say, I'm not like kind of saying that he's poor or everything, but I don't think it's on par with that of the likes of Gabi, that of the likes of Godin. So if he kind of doesn't have a very good start to game, he kind of condition how he plays. And you notice that from there, he kind of takes less risks and then he offers, um, how can I say, more sideways passes and then don't play or influence the team like he used to do. And when he is playing like that, it kind of affects Aleti because given how Aleti play, it kind of depends heavily on him because one of the, like, I would say, key things in Alexis' ball progression is basically using the third man combination to kind of find Koke facing the opponent's goal. And when if we do that and he faces the opponent's goal and then he is not doing what he's good at, then you kind of have an impact on how we play because you have him also who basically be looking for a lot of long balls or switch of plays, which times are not really there. And then you have a lot of responsibility now falls on the shoulders of DePaul. And then you know with DePaul, he's been very good recently, but now it's like he needs to overdo things. And when he's in that set of mind frame, he does not also do well. So when Koke doesn't do that, it doesn't only affect the affect how he's supposed to impact him, but it affects those around him and those who kind of share responsibility in doing certain actions like ball progression. Yeah, I completely agree. And it and it's good that you mentioned already DePaul here, because like this is Yesterday was a bit of a weird game because I think both Aleti and Real Madrid are both like when it comes to their ball progression, they tend to be more like left side teams, like more of the ball progression occurs on the left side. But for this game, there was like both teams were like more right sided than usual and uh, uh, for some of the reasons that we have mentioned like with Real Madrid is that they've had now that they've put Lucas at right back and and Luca Vasquez is actually having like a fairly good string of games lately against Etafe. He was really good. I thought yesterday 
he was quite solid. This has kind of revived Real Madrid's right side, so it was a lot more active yesterday. It was a lot more active against Getafe. And then you look at Aleti also. Most of the ball progression happened on the side of the Paul and uh, and Llorente, which, I mean, it's probably not the players who you want to be in charge of ball progression, right? Exactly. And um, like you mentioned for Madrid, like you said, they are play heavily focused on the left. I think we all know that from previous seasons, we, especially we've given the fact that Vinicius was there and when Benzema played, he kind of favored dropping into the left half space and linking up with Vini and Modric. And coming back to Aleti, it was kind of bizarre because I think a problem where the Aleti squad has is, um, how can I say, it's like you have an unbalance where the, the technically gifted players are on the left side, which is why we build down that way. We have Hermoso, Lino, Rikelme, and... At times in the left half space, you have Barrios. And then on the right, you have guys like Savage, Molina, and Lorente. Those are guys where the least bit of pressure, you have them moving the ball 60 meters away. And it was kind of just seeing that. And I think Cholo himself recognizes that. And that is why I think with Aliti, you kind of have this overload on the left to isolate on the right. Uh, you overload and then a switch of play to kind of pick out the run of Molina or Lorente. And I think there was a... I think. Last January, I think things kind of changed where it's true we focus more on the left and then switch on the right. But now in the final third, you kind of have Griezmann or Korea playing in the right half space where they are able now to link up and pick out the runs of those Molina Depot. But it was kind of bizarre yesterday. And I think it, most of it was down to the fact that Roro was losing a lot of duels. I think this is not the first time we're in a big game. We have seen Raquel me not, I would say, living up to par. And it's like he holds the ball and Cruz, who... No, I'm not like saying it's bad, but he's not very good out of position. It's true, he's decent. He comes and he's confidently engaging in 1v1 as we kill me, and then we kill me, does nothing. And I'm just thinking, it's true, Carrasco was not the most consistent, but when we have Carrasco there, I think you have kind of like that fear. When he holds the ball, you kind of have him maybe pulling so many players together. But when he's kill me, I think in the game against Barca, he was bullied, and same thing yesterday. And going to Lucas, oh my god. He's, I think he's one of the players I admire the most who plays for like a rival after Valverde. I kind of admire him. I think he doesn't get a lot of praise for what he did. And he's just, how can I say, he's those players where you them, you put under efficient, where he's not like the most flashy or whatever, like your Marcelo or your Daniel versus, but you know if you put him here, he gives 110% and he does what you ask of him as a coach. Yeah, and it's and it really like say the differences between Roro it's interesting to look at say the differences between Lucas Vasquez and Roro because in the end if I had to like with all due respect to to Lucas I think at least on the ball Roro is of course like a more talented player, a more impactful dribbler. Uh he can like he has the talent to get more things done, but in the end I think it all boils down to certain things about focus, concentration. It's not like he's not trying. It's just he there there are the weaknesses. He doesn't in in these like for example, Lucas Vasquez is like a guarantee almost in big games in the in this like Real Madrid has a lot of these players that like you know in a big game they can deliver. And it looks like right now Roro has kind has kind of the opposite problem. He can have some really nice games, but then when it comes to the big night uh, he doesn't. He doesn't deliver as well. So, yeah. In the end, that's also why I was surprised that he was starting. Understandably, like understandably, because uh, because uh, Cholo is t- taking care of Lino before uh, before the Copa semifinal. But 
it is, uh, yeah, it's, I think Roro is a, a good profile to have in the squad. I think every squad needs a dribbler like this. He can open up, he, like, he can make things easier for in games. Like, say, he, com he comes in against tired legs and then he tries to dribble. But all in all, I still don't, I think he's not starter quality at the moment. Well, I think some Atleti fans share that and I think some don't because you kind of have this thing when an academy player comes up and I think fans are kind of obsessed with the fact that even if he's not good enough, not many fans are ready to accept that this player, yes, is not good enough to play here. I believe Ruro is not yet good enough, I would say, for Atleti. I'm not saying that he's true. Like you said, we need a player of his quality to be on the, like to be part of the squad, like Carrasco kind of. One of games single-handedly, I can recall the game against Espanyol where we had a shit show last season at the RCD and then he single-handedly dragged us back into the game and even won the game for us. But with Roro, I think he is not yet good enough, not because he can't be good enough, but because at the level of his development, he's still at the, like you, we were discussing and you said to me, it's like kind of the hero ball. It's true, Carrasco was hero ball, but he doesn't have that efficiency because like you said, he has some concession issues and one of the things he is kind of very bad at is recognizing his environment. I believe um, defenders at the moment, given that he played in Ariga last season, already used to the fact that he loves cutting and then curls one to the top corner. And against Rayo, there was an instance where Saul made an overlap and he cuts in and the defender was fully aware that Roro was going to take a shot and basically followed Roro and there was a lot of space for Saul. And if that was Lino, I think Lino plays a pass there. And I think that's some of the things that he needs to improve in. And I think Cholo himself has said in press conferences where he says Lino is basically the more associative type, where he chives when his teammates are linked around him. But for Roro, Roro chives where there's more space and more of those 1v1s. I think Cholo believes in Rikelme's qualities, and I think that's why he's starting in some games. It's true, some games he starts because of the rotation issues, but... I think he's he needs to like improve his below par because as compared to the young guys in the squad, he has he's the one who has a lot of work to do to be actually at the level where he can start. It's true the competition he provides provided for Lino at the start of the season was great, but if you compare both at the moment, I think Lino I'm sorry, Rikelme really needs to improve. He's really, really far from what Aleti needs. I'm saying because of the standard that was set by Carrasco playing in such a role, which in my opinion at the moment Lino is kind of living up to, but we know Lino is far off as compared to Carrasco and Rukelme is very close to the player Carrasco was. Yeah, so like that's a good summary. And I was going through some sequences of the game and it's really surprising. I mean, Lucas is doing well, but it is kind of surprising that really, that at no point it looked like Roro could get an advantage over Lucas. And I, and I think that's what justified also like the, the substitution in the second half to f to have Lino add a bit more uh, add a bit more there. Uh, my other question to you was like what so what did you end up thinking about Aleti's extreme crossing approach cuz cuz of course Aleti know and they've known throughout the season that Real Madrid has a weakness right now in defending the box. And today and yesterday it was the biggest example of that because of course the the tall guy, the tall center backs are not there and Real Madrid was even weaker than usual in that zone, but it really does feel like they overdid it a bit with the crosses. What do you think? Well, um, firstly, I'm going to say Real Madrid's numbers when it comes to having the best defense in La Liga are kind of a little bit skewed, but I would say not so skewed because one of the things they have, I think, that many 
of the arrivals that Girona, Leti and Barca don't have is they are good when it comes to box defense and that's thanks to Rutiga, that's thanks to Militao. But now, not having those guys there yesterday kind of like said how Aliti were going to play. It kind of reminded me of, um, I would say, Barca when they had Frankie de Jong or Zidane Ball when he was, I think they call on Twitter, crush Inshallah. Given that you have a guy like Nacho and then you have a guy like um, Kavaja playing a centre-back. First of all, Kavaja is not the tallest and he's not so good aerially. And then Aleti kind of had Morata. I think in set pieces, you see all the three centre-backs wearing the box, which was which have not been the case in many games. I think in many games, you just have two of them and then one of them is kind of helping for the rest defence. But all three were in the box and they created a lot of good chances from those situations. That kind of... And Aleti has scored... Before to the game, Aleti had four... Scored four headed goals against Real Madrid this season. So I think that kind of told Cholo that well, if we can get set pieces, if we can also get into good crossing situations, I think we can score some goals. I think that was also a, another reason why Rikelme was also taking off was not just that he was struggling in his duels versus Vasquez or Cruz when he came to help at times, but due to the fact that his crosses were kind of very, very poor. He was not like reading at the movements of his teammates, and most of his crosses were either overheat or underheat. And they were not even aimed at zones where his teammates are. So it showed from the beginning that Aleti's game plan was basically crossing. And that's why we do not see a lot of variance in how Aleti will attack. Which kind of made Manzi, which was like, as well, it was like Cholo copied something from Mendelibas book yesterday, where it was like quantity over quality. Where if we keep on getting these crosses into the box, then I think at some point we are going to score a goal. Yeah, we scored. Just after halftime, and then I had scored at which was which was rightfully denied because um, Sao was basically directly in front of Lunin, which even in my opinion, I think him Sao wasn't there. Lunin doesn't like make the save, but that the, the rules of football are the rules, and then we scored again at the end. So I think that kind of set the, that was like the tune of what um, how Aleti wanted to play that game because of they noticed Real Madrid fragility. Firstly, their box defending is very good, but it is thanks to certain individuals, and those individuals were not there. So, Cholo kind of was like, okay, this is a weakness we have spotted, then let's take advantage of it. And I think he himself, I would say, in the end, kind of regretted for going for such an approach because he kind of said, um, he, if we knew, we could have brought on Lino and um, Barrios earlier on because... It would have had more dynamism in how Atletico can take chances in the final third. And I think you were there at the game against Rayo and you saw some of the things Barrios can do. It was almost like Iniesta-like. So I think in the end, he kind of regretted his approach and kind of said that he was like happy for a draw because it's like he believes that Atletico's chances for a silver way this is in kind of lies in like winning the Copa de Rey, which is a trophy that has eluded him since he did it against you guys at the Bernabeu. Yeah, so I uh, yeah I agree with all of that because uh, ultimately, like it did feel sometimes a bit predict, like it did feel a bit predictable because of course, uh, Aleti has all like they've known how to attack Real Madrid in the box over this season. It's just sometimes the cross is a bit more effective if you don't know that the cross is coming. So 
it uh, so like sometimes it's good to mix it up with other things with other moves and here it was very clear that what Aleti was doing was just going on the wing and then the cro- and then the cross w- would go in then because it's a bit weird right to see say Griezmann get the ball and just going directly just going directly for the cross instead of doing other things that like that's something that also that also weirded me out because because normally he is more unpredictable, more non-linear. But it was very clear that the instruction was get it in the box and something will come out. And honestly, like like you said, like in the end, a goal they got a goal that way at the very end. But it also what would we be saying about this? if the goal had not gone in. So I think it's still, regardless of the result, it's still good to say that the strategy was a bit predictable and it really did make Aleti attack worse at times. Yeah, that's true. I think if you recall the first derby, one of the things that made that strategy very efficient was the fact that when Lino had the ball, you did not know if he was going to pick out Saus's overlap or he was going to pick out Morata at the far post of or he was going to shoot on target so it kind of made things predictable or you were not also sure if he was going to like switch play for Molina's run so for a cutback so that was kind of dynamic and that was why I think Aleti scored I think the first I think that was three headed goals in that game against you guys because it's true yes the defending wasn't great but it was that was down to the confusion from the defenders because I think if you can recall for the first goal it was kind of Lino cutting in, picking out Saus, and then Morata goal. I think then the second one was basically him crossing for Morata, for Griezmann, I think. Then the third one was basically the same. So when you kind of have those mixtures, I think, like you said, it kind of make things less presentable, and then you can have a goal. Like I said, Simeon kind of went for the Mendelibas way, quantity over quality. So, um, J- um, Jose, a question for you now. Uh, I want to ask about Brian because he's like, how will I say? I don't want to say Real Madrid's um, most efficient or effective player, but if you can put it that way, then I think I think that's best. Because he kind of makes the most of the little amount of minutes given to him. It's like no matter the opportunity given to him by Carlo Angelotti, he takes most of it. Because yesterday, I think of the ball, I think you guys kind of did a number on us in the first half where the left-hand side, uh, you guys kind of really, really massacred us. Because that was basically the weakest part of our defense where we had Hermoso, I think the first time you guys attacked down down, down basically ball. Let's get the ball down the right side and then let's see what happened. Because the synergy between Rikel Miss Saul and Hemoso when defending those right areas was kind of really, really poor. And then Cholo had to like switch things and now go inside from a 5-3 to go to a 5-4-1 with Griezmann and dropping to provide cover on that side. And that was not the first time an opponent has done that to us. I think the away game against Ferno, they kind of did the same thing and he did the same switch. Yeah. So it's uh, so it was, like that one wasn't in, like the whole Brahim performance was just very nice to see because and, and I think you you've summarized it pretty well like whenever Brahim has gotten a chance this season he's shown very good quality he he's just taken advantage of every chance he's given and that's that's a really good way to make an impact and to stay in the Real Madrid squad because I, I mean. Vinicius and Rodrigo have had their ups and downs throughout the season. Vinicius has been injured frequently. Then Rodrigo has been has had his good and bad streaks. But you can like this season, uh, Ancelotti has been able to trust Brahim every time, and Brahim will get 
something done. And that's and that's very important. Like he's not going to be because, you know, when you're a football player, like you can have better or worse games. But I think what's really important, and especially in a club like Real Madrid, is that you don't stay quiet. And Brahim has never been quiet throughout this season for good or for bad. And that's great. And I think, um, yeah, it was very valuable yesterday um, to attack Aleti uh, and through the, through the mechanisms uh, that you described. Real Mad- Again, Real Madrid's right side has been a bit revitalized over the last month with Lucas in there, like putting in good crosses, uh, then doing combination play with Fede Valverde. And then yesterday it gets turbocharged by Brahim been there because then you have like that good triangle of like Brahim, Valverde, Lucas, uh, who, who are trying to disorder Aleti's defense. So he and that's the thing about Raheem every time he plays that like he kind like he is one of the more associative players in this squad and every time like one of the things i love the most about watching him play is that every time he comes in uh the team hits another level in its associative play like they link up much better like he's just very good kind of connective tissue kind of player like he really helps put all connect all the pieces together it that has been a trend every time he play he's played this season and yesterday it was another example and it helps and then he moves around a lot one thing i didn't like actually uh, and i don't know how much of it was the initiative from the players uh, and how much it was like the play or how much it was Ancelotti's decision was like the decision to kind of switch Brahim and Rodrigo and have Rodrigo go back to the right and then Brahim go on the left. I thought, especially given the fact that Rodrigo was a bit more quiet, I actually think that le- that made Madrid's right side a bit less impactful. Well, um, I agree with you on that because that was another move which also like kind of shocked me, but I think... Um, if that was from Carlo, then I believe it's the fact that he has like better confidence or more confidence in Rodrigo, what he can do. And then he knows Rodrigo is kind of this guy who, if he's on song, then he's basically unstoppable, one of the best in the world. And maybe him switching those guys or sending Rodrigo to the right to kind of get him into the game. Because I think one of Rodrigo's criticism at Real Madrid is kind of the fact that he disappears in games. We are in Brahim for the fact that his always available or he takes excuse me or he takes Real Madrid attacks to another level whenever given the opportunity but the same can't be said for Rodrigo because like we were saying before recording he has he had a period at the start of the season where he was like non-existent he was like where has this guy gone to then from the Cardiff game he was like wow this is basically the best player in the world the best player in the world and it's like he dribbles through everything and he can even dribble and pass himself through a wall but after that, now you kind of have a guy where he's like, oof, where has he gone to? So he's like kind of streaky and no offense to him. But you know, I believe at a club like Real Madrid, having such a streaky type of performance is not great. And I think one of the reasons he kind of plays because Real Madrid attack is not really the attack we have known for years. And if they can like upgrade it with, let's say, the rumor of every season of Mbappe coming, if he finally comes, and then we kind of know basically for him to have minutes would be tough so if he doesn't kind of improve to have minutes wouldn't be easy and it's not just something of let's say this season is something which has basically been throughout the time in his real magic career and that is why he's been more impactful on that's why he's been more impactful coming off the um yes so 
I I agree, and I think, and I think right now we see like I think about uh, about this, and like Ibrahim started every game. Maybe we would see more inconsistencies. We would see that maybe his level uh, every week fluctuates a bit more. There is definitely a difference. The demand for consistency when you're a starter compared to when you come from the bench is of course different. So, cause I think about the case of Raheem and of course he doesn't like, it's interesting how every player responds to being like more of a sub rule. Cause some players disconnect more and other players are very good at staying connected, at staying switched on and connected. And I think that that was the case with Rodrigo whenever he did substitute appearances. And that is currently the case of Raheem right now, where maybe if he had to start every week, Maybe we would see fluctuations. The demands for consistency would be even higher. But here, I think Brahim every time can go in and do like a very focused cameo, a very focused appearance, uh, and he can keep up that le- and he can keep up that level consistently. I am at this point. That being said, like whenever a player ha- is like that, of course you wonder what would happen if they start. What would happen if now Brahim gets consistent starts? So I am a bit curious about. What would happen if Brahim played more consistent? Like if Brahim played every week, it's like, would we, would he still be able to deliver this way every time, or will his form see more ups and downs? I am, I am not sure about it. But at this point, he's definitely earned the right to have more minutes because every time he comes in, there's impact. Then with Rodrigo, it's it's complicated. I it it goes back to what I was saying that it's like. Now that he starts, now that he's not like the guy who goes in and has an impactful cameo appearance, um, the demands for consistency are higher, and he is struggling with those demands. He is more quiet. And, and, and here's the thing. It's what I was telling you of like, no matter whether it's good or bad, the player cannot be quiet. Rodrigo is quiet, and that's part of the problem. Like, Vinicius can have a good or a bad game, but he keeps trying stuff. That's probably his best quality. He just keeps trying stuff, and there are still certain things to run, certain movements that Vinicius will do every game, regardless of his, of whether he's doing well or not. When Rodrigo is not having a, a good day, he's quiet, and he just doesn't do as much, and that's... That is a problem if you want to be a starter for Real Madrid, because there are certain things that you have to do anyways. Whether you're playing well or badly, you still have to try. Well, um, I kind of agree with everything you have said. And just to touch on the Brian case, um, I believe um, even if he doesn't become a starter in the future, but just for the fact that he possesses that quality to kind of bring others in play, which is quality so many players don't have, I believe even if he starts... Even if he is not like vibrant for let's say the 60 minutes he get, but I think for large parts of that 60 minutes, you kind of have a guy who be vibrant. And like we have been saying, that's not the case with Rodrigo, and that's something he has to figure it out. Because if he doesn't, then you know how ruthless uh, Perez and Real Madrid can be. Um, my question: um, How what was your thoughts on Kamavinga's performance last night? Because I've been a fan of Kamavinga playing basically from either the left half space or he starts at left back. Because I believe his best quality are dribbling his way out of pressure into midfield and not maybe starting at the base like many believe him to be. Because some have this idea of the fact that he would be better if he was basically starting at the base. And I think we have seen that the past he has some issues, especially concentration issues. 
which kind of force turnovers and maybe give goals. Yeah, so that's Camavinga is an interesting subject because you are because same thing as a Real Madrid fan, I also hear a bunch of other people being like, "Why is he not playing the six? Why is he not playing the six? I also don't believe like this is a bit like uh, to some degree this is like the Frankie De Jong problem where everyone sees him be so good getting out of pressure situations, passing from deep areas, and everyone assumes, oh, because of that, like they should be the six. But your six also requires other qualities, and it requires, I think the right word, your six needs to be sober. Like, they need to be a player who is conscious to a degree of the risk uh, of playing six, because six is one of the riskiest positions. You miss a pass, and that will lead to a very dangerous turnover and counterattack. So that's that's always the trade-off of playing six. Yes, you want a player who does good ball progression, but you also want a player who understands the risk and knows how and knows when to risk and when not to risk. And that's sometimes the problem with Frankie de Jong that like he takes risks in areas where maybe you don't want him to take risks. Uh, he switches off defensively in a lot of in a lot of sit- well with Frankie I w- I wouldn't say he switches off it's more like he just tries and then he just tries to move around and then doesn't win things and it also feels a bit like that with Kamavinga where like he is not that he's also not that good positionally and yes he obviously Kamavinga has an incredible ball recovery ability like his tackling ability is wonderful but. You need more than tackling to be a good six. You also need a certain positional awareness, risk awareness. And that's really why I, at least for now, don't believe in Kamavinga being being the six. Because as long as his risk management is like that, as long as he takes those risks, both without the ball and with the ball, that is, let's just say that now with Trameni, Trameni handles that understands that risk better. So I am not a fan of Kamavinga being the six. Yesterday, of course, it was a very typical to me Kamavinga performance where like he's, of course, moving around, trying to connect pieces. He's getting out of pressure well, but then always a bit messy positionally. And um, there are really sequences, especially towards the end of the game, where Real Madrid was well, Real Madrid was looking for defensive possession, right? That's why Modric came in. That's why the uh, the white forwards came out. Like the team wanted to have a bit more conservative defensive possession, and Camavinga is not the guy for that because he always tries to go forward. He always tries to take the risk. How did the play that led to Atleti's goal happen? It was originally a turnover from Camavinga, where Camavinga gets the ball. He could have passed it to the left and have like a safer option, but instead he tries to go on this run past a few Aleti defenders and ends up losing the ball. And that's the kind of risk-taking that uh, it's a bit problematic when you want to be a six, when you want, like you, sometimes you need to think more in terms of conserving the ball. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Jose, because like the key thing I think you mentioned, which the listener should maybe pay attention to is positional awareness. Because playing that role, I think, like you'll be making best put there are moments in the game where you kind of have to agree that you will not be heavily involved. But with like you I think the best example you would have used to maybe explain Kamavinga is the young. 
you have these players with a lot of mobility and when you are playing a six that's not the case because these are guys who how can i say they like this freedom of movement where they are their best in my opinion where they are able to move like all over the pitch and kind of impact things but now giving them that like limitation to like maybe say okay you are the six now he has to maybe assess that oh that means there are certain moments where like you said i will not maybe advance or there are certain moments where i will not maybe do this or that but those are players who they don't have that because they are used to the fact that yeah i'm good at this so that's what makes me good and that's why what i would do and then you have them trying a lot of things in areas they should not try or trying things in moments where they should not try and like you explained yesterday that kind of led to a turnover look thank, thankfully for our lady fans we have barriers who, who was the one who did that and then it led to our goal so like you rightly said i think that's an issue for him it's a lot of mobility um do you think going like because i believe your midfield is at the moment that's for the next five to ten seasons remember this midfield do you think believe him going forward Tomini is that guy to be at the six yes i would say so at least for now maybe Maybe the equation changes a bit if Kamavinga improves positionally, uh, like and improves with his risk awareness. But it, like this one's always complicated because, like, sure, it would be inter- it would be nice if, say, Frankie and Kamavinga had a bit more positional awareness. Maybe didn't take as many risks, but they also wouldn't be the players they are if they weren't willing to take those risks. So at least. Currently, I believe uh, that it's better to put Kamavinga in a position where he can take those risks a bit more safely. And that position is not the six. You cannot take those kinds of risks at the six. So as long as it is like that, I'd rather Kamavinga play the eight than Tramini the six. Uh, Or or in any case, maybe you can make it... I, I think, ultimately, the club especially with uh, the signings that are being made and the way this is being set out, I do kind of believe going forward in maybe more of, say, a Tramini-Kamavinga kind of double pivot. But I still think Tramini is the right profile to be the deepest midfielder, to be the one, even if it were a double pivot, I would still expect Tramini to be um, the deepest midfielder in these phases. So I still think that as long as Tramini is the sober one and Kamavinga is the risk-taking one, it makes more sense right now to have Tramini as the six. And I know that some people are like, well, but Kamavinga can get out of pressure better and that gives you a lot of things. Yes, but a bit, but just like Frankie, he doesn't have to be the six to do that. He can, you can have Kamavinga more be the A, like, this is going to be a bit of a different conversation once Kroos leaves, because then, um, once Kroos leaves, then there's going to be, you're going to need someone, you're going to need someone to help with that ball progression, and I think Amavinga, without being Tony Kroos, of course, uh, he will naturally take on more of that role, and then he's going to be the one going into like the left side on the deep in the left side, helping with ball cr- progression once Gross leaves. He's going to be, I think, he's the best fit to take care of that role. And I think in that role, you can um, you can see more of those qualities that we like about him, and it will be, and he c- will be able to do those things. Uh, maybe without taking the kinds of risks, without the kind of risk of playing six. So at least for now, I do think uh, Tramini is the one who should be the six for now. 
Well, um, I will agree on that because, like you said, Tramley is true. He maybe he doesn't possess like the qualities of, let's say, Kamavinga in terms of escaping pressure at the rest. But then again, you need somebody who is there who has more, like you say, Rick's awareness and also more positionally disciplined. And I think that was those are things I think Tramley has shown, especially when you guys kind of I don't know what you guys did to United, but kind of profited from them for selling Casemiro for ninety million God, man. So things you guys kind of let Casemiro go, I think Chomini has done a decent job when he's played there. And um, a fun thing about Chomini, actually, he's of Cameroonian descent and almost every holiday, he's kind of in Cameroon here. And the great thing is he kind of visits his village, which is found where in the west region of Cameroon, where um, I think the general term for them is Bamilike. I think the, one of the most successful races of people in Cameroon. And it's not surprising him how he's successful he is already in his young career. Um, in Jose talking about Cruz, that's been, that was the 30th plus game. I don't have the exact number that he has played without um, with comp. Sorry, with comp. That's the 30th plus game he has played, completing ter- over 90 percentage of the passes played. Wow, that's incredible! And I think a huge part of part of Real Madrid's progression is like lies on Cruz, that's his progressive passes. And also, he kind of controls the tempo. Do you think when he leaves, Real Madrid has that guy to kind of control the tempo? Like we just mentioned, a flaw of that of Kamavinga is not having that pause. Do you think Real Madrid has somebody already in the squad who offered that? Because like you said, Kamavinga's ball carries can offer another way of progression. You already have that with Vinicius and the rest. Do you think you have that somebody like an elite passer, maybe not of Cruz's quality, because I don't think there will ever be another Tony Cruz because that guy is really... Really great. Do you think you guys have another type of person in the squad who already can offer something new, or you think that's something that can maybe be his maybe his departure will kind of be solved tactically? Yeah, for Kroos, I would say I would just do like Pep Guardiola and be like, we cannot replace him. Um, it's like it's just imp- like I think the closest they don't make midfielders like these anymore. Like these kinds of deep playmakers like Kroos, Parejo, uh, you don't really get that kind of player much anymore because these players are were born out of their inability to dribble like that's the interesting thing like Gross ended up becoming the way he is and even Xavi Parejo ended up becoming the way they are because they were never great dribblers so they were like we're gonna put all the like I can see the dribbling thing is not gonna work so we're gonna put all the skill points on passing and then and uh, and and passing and good ball control to buy themselves more time to pass and look at the next target. Um, and nowadays, especially with all the pressing, the profile of player that's being developed is more like Frankie or like Amavinga, which is like guys who can do some passing, uh, who can do passing at a pretty good level, but not guys who put all their skill points on passing. Nowadays, the modern midfielder has to do a lot of other things. Um, he has to have that ability to break through pressure. So nowadays, the midfielders, the central midfielders that are coming out are more dribbling and passing. And and of course, that's useful in this era where everyone presses you. But when the thing is that when a player has that dribbling ability, they don't have as much incentive 
to pause. And that's the thing. Like, Frankie or Camavinga don't have the incentive to pause because they're like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to go past, try to go past two players and then accelerate the, 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 the play. So there's less, there's really less tempo control in this new generation uh, of midfielders. Uh, the closest you can get to a Toni Kroos in the new generation is Enzo Fernandez. So if, like, if Real Madrid wanted the closest thing in the new generation of midfielders to a like-for-like -like replacement to Toni Kroos, they'd need to go for Enzo Fernandez. I think the midfield is already pretty packed as it is, so it would be a bit, it feels like a bit of a luxury signing. Um, so assuming Camavinga is the one who takes on that left-sided eight role, He's going to be the one getting the ball on that left pocket and then bringing it forward. But of course, he's going to do it in a very different way to how Kroos does it. Kroos goes for like those really long diagonal passes to the right. Uh, Kamavinga is going to be more like, let's do a passing combo or dribble pass players on the left um, to move forward. So it's going to progress the ball in a different way. And it's also going to be with less pause. I think... The Real Madrid of Camavinga, Chouameni, Valverde, uh, and Bellingham is not going to be a Real Madrid of pause, which is something I was thinking about yesterday when the team tried to do defensive possession. Of course, you can do defensive possession when you have uh, Toni Kroos and Luka Modric, but I think that's once these two leave, I, Real Madrid is not really going to have that pause and it and I don't think they will be able to replace that pause so it's going to be really like a team of more come and go which has its advantages has its disadvantages so uh that's kind of the way I see it I think the pause cannot be replaced unless you go for a guy like Enzo Fernandez well um you're talking about the fact that um when Cruz Amodius kind of leave then the pause are basically will not be available and it at the moment we're talking about that, the uh, more just came to mind was Koki, and I'm thinking about the games where he has not started or he has been taken off, and then you have DePaul <laughs> in midfield, Barrios, and then everything is basically shabby ball, which is basically rock and roll, even when you need to like hold on to the ball and then maybe string it two or three passes around. Like you said, midfielders like that are not really a rare at the moment, but having them in your team is kind of really advantageous. I think we all understand why Pep wanted, um, there have been rumors of Pep wanting Kimmich or also linking him with maybe having Tony Cruz next in that city. So that's really understandable. So, um, Perez, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Jose Perez. Um, a question I want to just ask is, um, I think your midfield is basically sorted out and maybe if uh, that guy joins, the guy who you are linked with every season, then I think maybe the attack will also be solid. Do you think this summer, Real Madrid, I know you guys have an injury plague, which is the reason why Kavaja basically played at centre-back yesterday, and that those injuries in defence are really, really killing you guys. And if they keep going at this rate, then Ruziga doesn't return any soon, then I believe your Champions League hopes become slimmer, because it obviously entails that you have to maybe outscore all your games, and that's Real Madrid way, but I don't believe with that defence that's kind of possible. So do you think... Um, Real Madrid not going for a centre-back in January was kind of a mistake. And do you think you guys need another centre-back? Absolutely. Back? Like, not going for a centre-back, at least for me, was a crazy decision. That now, in a game like yesterday, uh, now we see the consequences. These are the points you drop when you didn't reinforce the centre-back position. So, I yeah, like, I think 
I and most of the Madrid fan base, from what I've been talking to them, thought it was a mistake. I th yeah, because you just can't live with that rotation, like with the rotation the way it is, and just have these patches of like put Tramini as a uh, as a center back, put Carvajal as a center back. Because here's the thing: like when you put these players in the center back position. You don't just have the issue of them playing in an unfamiliar position. You lose them and their influence from their actual position. You put Tramini in center back, you lose him at six. You put Carvajal at uh, at center back, you lose him and his impact at right back. So, well, we've been a bit we've been a bit lucky that like Lucas has been doing well, but. Uh, all in all, that's the risk that you take when you do these kinds of emergency solutions of putting a player in their unfamiliar position. And yeah, like I, I see a game like yesterday and I just think, let's just hope we don't let's just hope we don't end up regretting these loss, uh, these two points that were lost at the very end because the club refused to sign a center back. And and the thing is that now you're left with like our like our one available center back, which is Nacho. And I, I want to pause a bit to talk about Nacho because as someone like he's been the most reliable for so many years, but. What I find interesting is this, this is one of the season, one of the Nacho seasons that one of his worst ones that I can remember. And I find it quite interesting that it happened the season that he's captain now, the season where everyone is injured and he gets to take more responsibility. I sometimes feel that Nacho felt a bit more confident and safer being the backup because in the end it's it, it all the responsibility didn't fall on him it fell on the others so he was a bit more calm this season he struggled a bit and i do think that part of the reason he is struggling is the leadership it's just being in that thrust into that leadership role where he has to take more responsibility for example during the goal like, like it's quite funny because in the goal it uh, okay, Llorente goes for the header, and then he's trying, like, he puts his foot up, like, he's gonna, like, try to clear or kick up the ball, and it's like, I don't know, man, even if you're not as tall, and I think Ancelotti said in the press conference, well, Nacho is not as tall as Llorente, it was never gonna make it. I don't care. Even if you were not going to win the duel, you still have to go up for that ball and make the opposition attacker as uncomfortable as possible. And he didn't do it. And of course, it, in a way, it's not a surprise. Nacho's box defending has always been the weakest part of his game. Nacho is better when he's defending outside his box, being aggressive, trying to cut passes, go for the interceptions, anticipate attackers. When he has to stay back and defend in his box, he struggles more. He's, of course, not as tall. So, and right now, that's the leader of Real Madrid's defense, um, at least until Rudiger is back. So, he's... It's been a bit of a disappointing season looking at him. And that and I mentioned this because that also makes me think about future plans. Okay, now you've got two center backs coming back from like big knee injuries. In what state they will come back? Are they gonna come back at a good level? Is it are they not what are, what things are they gonna lose? Like are they is Militao gonna lose some of his explosiveness? Uh Alaba is already Alaba is already like a bit old, so is he going to come back at a good enough level? Uh, you have Nacho who hasn't been able to handle the responsibilities this year. It really, I thought the club was going to go for the center back 
until 2025 or even 2026 once Alabas and Rudiger's contracts expire because they expire, I think, in 2026. So I thought it was more of a next year project. But I do think the current situation with the center backs, the injuries, Nacho's level does really make it so the club should probably think about a big center back signing this summer, at least. Well, that's kind of interesting talking about Nacho because I believe there was a spell where he was basically Real Madrid's best defender, I think, if I'm not mistaken, last season until he got a call up to the national team. But like you said, um, he's been really poor this season and he's also one of the captains and all the leaders in the dressing room and also the leader of Real Madrid's defense at the moment and he needs to step step up because like you said, with those guys returning back from injury, they wouldn't be hard. they will not have to play every game. They will need to be some rotation or ease them into the the team and Nacho will have to kind of step up because he will have to play a part in you guys easing those guys into the team. I was kind of sassy Minita and Alaba have those injuries because those are injuries which you can come back and you are not the same player. We have this seen for example someone like Fatsi who is now basically a shadow of the player he once was and like for the goal, I was to be honest, I was shocked at the Nacho's reaction. I was like, what type of defending is that? And I believe one of the reasons why guys like Jenny for Getafe have survived in La Liga, despite not being the tallest, is that they make it so difficult for those tall strikers to kind of receive the ball in the air or even win an area duel. And that was something like you said he was supposed to do in that case. But sadly, for you guys, luckily for us, it's not do. And then we kind of did what you guys usually do to us. That was kind of great, you know. It's been Yeah, like- now you now you know now we know how it feels like we, that's the first thing we discussed like with the managing madrid guys yesterday we were like man we're the ones who do this to other teams is this how it feels this sucks it, it was kind of fun you know because as well as an analytic fan we have been at the receiving end of i have stopped counting at the moment but now it's true there was not a lot on the line but doing it to you guys I think one of the reasons why I was not on Twitter today because, because God, I celebrated that goal a lot. It was kind of amazing. It's two years was just a single point, but it's like, you know, this moment where you have like going through a lot and then finally you have a breakthrough. It was kind of similar to that because if I believe we, if we were the one leading 1-0, there's no doubt in my mind you guys do that to us. But doing that to you guys at the Benabao, that was great. Oof. Yeah. So... <laughs> What what did you think about the team's like second half reaction? Like about Aleti's second half? Like was it with all the changes, of course, what do you think changed during the second half for Aleti? Well, firstly, I think like we said, it was very very poor half. And I think everybody who follows Aleti was obviously expecting a change in the second half, which was more better with some introduction, but I would say I was still shocked at how we approached the game out of position. I believe um, it's maybe right, that it's maybe true that yes, we don't have maybe some of the centre-back profiles to maybe kind of press high for majority of the games, but this team is basically at its worst when it's kind of pinned back or kind of want to defend it. So I was expecting more, to be honest, in the second half, it's true, yes, we kind of improved in the second half, but the lack of intensity was really, really quite annoying. And it's true, they, I think the introduction of certain players, like, for example, Barrios for Saul was basically like a game changer. It was, how can I say, it's like, we had Saul, like, let's just say, an extra man in the game, but now having a guy like Barrios was kind of a game changer in a lot of things, like, say, for example, how we were for, how, able to maybe create some chances from ball recoveries. It's true, Saul's, Saul's off-the-ball work is great, but when he recovers the ball, you don't expect anything to kind of come out from it. And then, 
I was also kind of shocked at like let's say like you mentioned before Christmas impact. I don't think a lot of things change for us in the second half. It's true that we kind of improve, but tactically speaking, not a lot change for us. And I think it was maybe more of like you guys trying to like be conservative because you guys know, like you said, going for more of like position defending. And Cholo also said after the game that it was a game where both teams did not really give a lot or both teams were kind of skeptical or like risks adverse. Yeah, I, w- I would also agree that like it's... Sure, the having like uh, having like Barrios or Lino in does make the team say pass the ball around a bit better. Like like the the individuals, of course, had a change, but tactically, structurally, I don't think there was much of a change. So it was just putting in these players who are individually better. Of course, does make you play a bit better, but I I also don't think there was like a big collective change, structural change. Then, uh, how does this make you feel ahead of the Copa semifinal? Well, for one, I believe if we, I know Cholo wanted to rest, but I believe we should have gone for the game. When I mean gone for the game, play how we normally play, play how we played at the Benabao last season, the Copa de Rey, where we kind of we like went head, head, head to head, we head to head with you guys, and we kind of had a very good 45 minutes. I believe that's how the game should have gone because it's true, Cholo was kind of afraid of tire legs. But I believe winning the derby against Real Madrid, the Real Madrid team, which basically are the only team to have defeated this season, and a rival which basically is very tough to defeat at the Bernabeu, and we have not won there for some while. I believe winning that game and heading at home, where we are very, which like we are unbeatable, would have done wonders to this group mentally. I think the, heading to the game mentally, I think we are good, but if we could have won that game, I think mentally we would have gone to the game I think it's different because if you can recall, Aleti were kind of having, I would say, first three games were good of the season, and then after that we had it like a yo-yo period. And after defeating you guys, three one at home, we kind of went on that run of I think it was almost like ten games without a defeat, something of that sort. That was because the mental energy I think, especially for La Liga clubs, you get from beating Real Madrid, especially maybe also Barca, but the mental energy you get from beating those guys is kind of crazy because after beating those guys. You're, it's like you're walking on water. It's true, I'm a little fan and I'm giving you guys praise, but well, I think give credit where it's due. I think heading to now this game, I feel optimistic because firstly, we are playing at home. I've never felt really, really, I would say pessimistic when we play at home. Even when we are not playing well, I still feel like we are going to win the game because at home, if with the fans and everything, it's kind of like the card run at the moment. Maybe it's not yet there, but it's, we are getting there. So you have that atmosphere and everything. And also the players, even in games where their legs are worn out, just for playing at home, you kind of see them go extra miles. So heading to that clash, given it's at home, I'm kind of very optimistic. And uh, checking on the news today, they have not been updated about Inyaki and Nico. I hope they are they recover well. But that can be another positive finality, not having those two guys there. Because if those two guys are not there, then I think it gives Cholo a chance to maybe play him also. But I know if we know if those guys are there, then renewed do basically start. So not losing, I think, is kind of really true that equalizing kind of gives some positivity. But I believe if we won this game, I think it would have maybe changed the course of our season mentally. Yeah, I think there's a phrase I like that people say a lot in Spanish, like in Spanish football analysis that I like a lot, that it's like, 
the best physio psychologist etc is like a goal or a victory and and that's the thing like you can do uh, like of course it, it makes sense sometimes to conserve the energy of your players of course ahead of this uh, of the big uh, of certain important games the calendar like really forces you to do that rest but also so or to even play like a bit more conservatively not take as many risks but sometimes really the motivation that you get from a goal or a win is something else and i do agree that aleti could have gone uh to to the semi-final with an even stronger belief in themselves if they had if they had taken advantage and won the derby yesterday because there was really with that black hole that was the center of Real Madrid's defense it w it was there for the taking so uh, it's one of those tough trade-offs of being a football coach is like do you take the risk do you not take the risk do you conserve energy it's a complicated question yeah agreed and like I mentioned before I think he kind of maybe regretted it a little at the end and he was like wow this game was actually there for the taking and I think that was why I say some of the elite players were kind of annoyed that the goal just chopped, chopped off. Because they know if they, I think he believed if we scored at that moment, then things kind of change. And then maybe we would have had more time to kind of like win the game. But well, it is what it is. Happy with the draw, but believe that was a game that was really there for the taking. And we did not take it. And well, we now maybe see what happens on Wednesday against Athletic Club, who basically has had what it are of rest more than us, and it was kind of shocking that the, the league did not agree to push the game to Saturday. I believe maybe it was for marketing reasons, and also the federation refusing to push our cup game to Thursday. So let's see how we go there because I believe Athletic Club are like I would say bit more fresh than us, but I think psychologically playing at home and Athletic Club they don't have the best I think away record as well. So heading to that game. I have some optimism and maybe I believe if we can get past this athletic club, then I believe we win the Copa de Rey for the first time in a while. So, um, Jose, to kind of close off the podcast, um, we have to talk about athletic squad because I think at the start of this season, I think there was, you have this saying, I think, among the La Liga TV journalists, which kind of creep into the fans and then also from some journalists around, not talking about the guys at ESPN because in my opinion, they are always biased with how they talk about Aleti. But you kind of have um, this thing that Aleti had the best squad heading to La Liga this season and that they are favorites for La Liga and the rest. But now I believe that was kind of skewed because I think a lot of focus was being paid on, firstly, how the, the firepower Aleti has, which was kind of good. And Aleti has showed that they can score goals this season. But now a lot of things were not taken into consideration, like the squad balance. And I think this topic of squad balance was basically one of the main reasons Aleti struggled last season, at the first half of last season. Because having i think the key in having a successful team or a team that wins trophies is basically finding the balance and i think for uh, people who have been following football for a while now that's been testament to pegua the last teams when they have been able to have that balance between their attacking and defending i think they have gone on to achieve some great heights and it's been same for other teams we know like for example liverpool and i know real madrid are always abnormally when it comes to most things because God, that club i can't understand how they do their things having that balance but i believe is the key so what's your opinion on Aleti's squad? Because I believe the squad is not really, really as great as some people pointed out to be. It's true that the firepower is there, but now it seems like the way Aleti wants to play, the, it has not been productive because each time Aleti has pressed high against a quality position, you take into correction Villarreal at home, 
we were kind of torn apart and then we have defenders who cannot basically spend like let's say 30 to 40 meters away from their goal because the defense for a while now has been let's say the quality has been dropping since Godin retired yeah so this is a point that i think i tweeted about at some point where it's like the last time aleti made like some big spending on defensive uh, on the de- on defense it was really like in that like 2019 2018 2019 period where players like hermoso llorente uh were were signed and we haven't seen any kind of big spending in defense ever since and it is for an Aleti and a Cholo Simeone team, I find it incredibly weird that every time the club decides to spend more on attackers than they do in defenders, and this just keeps happening and keeps happening. And I, and at some point, I also wonder, okay, like Cholo must also have like a big say in transfers. Like, is he, does he agree with this? Is this what he wants to do? Like, what's the strategy here? I don't quite see it. I don't see why you're willing to, say, spend all of this money in, say, Cunha when you didn't need him, um, but not, like... And to be fair, Cunha, I think, actually, Aleti got a profit on him, so financially it was good, but it's like, profile-wise, you probably didn't need that player. So um, it's stuff like that where, where you wonder, like, why does the club keep signing attackers when right now what's really important to reinforce and make a big spending on is defense, renovate defense, because it's really like for years, it's been spending more on attack. And then the solutions in defense are just patches are just, are just, they go for like the cheaper options. Then like, it was great that Reinildo ended up turned out to be so good, despite the low fit. Like he had, like he was a great, a hit of a signing because that you got him for a low fee, but like there's only so much you can do or so many um so many correct decisions that you can have in recruitment when you are willing to spend that little on defense. And of course the club try to make other bets this year with Soyunzu and, and Aspiliqueta and it's and, and neither of them ha- has delivered. So it does feel like at some point Aleti has to make that spending like has to spend more money on a guy who can who's not like a bet but a guy who can give you who can guarantee you week to week performance in defensive areas then i also find like the signing of fermiren right now in the, during the winter transfer market a bit weird because he like like maybe you maybe the club thinks of him as a six and he can do say the passing and the ball and and, and the possession side of being a six but can he do the defensive side? Right now, what Aleti needs more of a six is the defensive side, the work rate, the positional or the defensive positional awareness. And I don't think this guy is the right fit for that. So I find Aleti's recruitment in defensive areas just very weird and hard to understand. Well, um, Jose, you're not the only one finding that weird. The first thing I would say is um, you have um, sources who are kind of like close to the club and the rest and they kind of like, you get information like uh, the club kind of like at times, okay, they ask Cholo for players he wants and then obviously, you know, you kind of have a first, second and third choice and most of the time is at the third choices or even choices that he did not ask for that come in. For example, look at Galan. He was basically a very good signing. Excuse me, but in the end, he proved that that was not a signing Cholo kind of asked for and it was not a signing a little needed because if Cholo's opinion was asked and depending, I'm saying depending 
I'm saying because it has been what I mean, I've deducted from his press conferences. He says that um, before Carrasco leaving, we were already thinking of playing Riquelme as one of the options on the left, plus Lino. So it means he already had his mind about moving on from Carrasco. But now the club was like, moving on from Carrasco, we need another player. So it's like the communication between the board and the, the management of the club, that's the board and the Cholo and his staff, is not really, I don't think it's the best. But there's no proof to back that up. I'm saying so because he keeps saying that um, we communicate with the board, with Andre Bata, with Gil, with what we want. And I'm, I cannot believe that Cholo has not told the board that he needs a defender. And what is really surprising is the fact that we are basically in an era where the most popular or the easiest players to kind of buy are centre-backs. Because you look all over, you see... I will not say world class, but you see top quality center backs who can basically improve a little squad. And for a team who kind of go for, I would say, free signings or low key signings, I was surprised they did not go for Jalo, which will be a Juventus player next season. So the recruitment is really strange because the team needs an upgrade in the center back position, but the team keeps on spending more money on attacking players and it doesn't make sense. I think. Um, it's like maybe they wanted to change the way Aleti play, but that was not the case. But it seems the club are, how can I say, maybe a profit base where we kind of buy these young players, which are attacking players, and like, for example, in the case of Cunha, and then we get profit off them, especially from Premier League clubs, which I don't think that would be possible given some financial changes which have been done in the Premier League, um, I think, this season. So it's kind of puzzling because the club needed a centre-back in January, especially given the fact that Soyen Chu left on loan to Fenerbahce, but it took Jose Maria's Jimenez's injury to force the club to bring in someone in, and that has kind of, like I would say, limit what Cholo can do because that has meant to the fact that Cholo had to maybe convert, like last season, convert Witzel from six to a center back, which has been a blessing in disguise because Witzel's legs were pretty, pretty gone, and in games where he played as a six, it was really, really horrible watching it. And I don't really understand what is happening to the club because Aliti were basically poised to sign Kamara and then Bata says he goes to Kamara's house and Kamara welcomes him with a shot with shots and slippers and then that's why he didn't sign Kamara. But for for God's sake the club we need someone like that. We need a six and then the Vermeer signing I think was very evident in the very first game he plays. It's true he was his first game and he has more to do but it shows that on the defensive side there is a lot for him to improve because his link up or synergy with Lorente was really really bad and if you watch the Rayo game, Rayo targeted the left side all through the game. I'm not saying Vermeer is a bad, bad player because he has his qualities which are on the ball. But now he's coming, we are buying a player we don't need. Because the midfield is kind of stuck. It's true, yes, the player for the future and the rest. And maybe he gives message that they will get rid of Saul and uh, Lima in the summer. But they had to go for someone who will improve the squad immediately. And I don't think Vermeer signing kind of improves the squad at the moment. Because it's like basically the Cunha signing which you said we don't need. So it is transversal is kind of puzzling. Because Cholo asked for a six the whole summer and it was not given to him. And that was the first time I think Cholo has asked for some a player publicly. So it kind of showed you a lot of the things I think many who don't follow a little closely, Cholo has to put up with. It was also kind of funny when there were scenes that um, Cholo would leave for Tucci and was like, I don't think the day Cholo leaves, okay, I'm saying this and I think all Aleti fans believe this, the day Cholo leaves is the day I believe Aleti becomes another Valencia or another Sevilla. Because... Putting up with this board is very, very tough because the way they do things, I don't, it's like for profit wise. And you have play, mama, they are linked with Mendes and how he influences some of the transfers. It's like profit first before, let's say, the team performances and the rest. 
but they don't like think of profit can go hand in hand with how the team can perform so it's kind of shocking how bad the recruitment has been since the 2017-18 and i don't think it's basically on Bata because his scouting has been really great because if it was up to Bata, bruno guimarez and lotaro martinez are basically playing for Aleti at the moment so it's really really shocking and i'm really quite sad because we i believe if we have the center backs for example that Barca have then i believe we are right up there in the league yeah, and I think you make a very good point in the sense that getting a center back right now, I mean, yeah, there are some like very expensive options, but there's also like some good affordable options that would improve Aleti right now. Because let's be honest, right now, the standard in Aleti central defense is not very high. So you don't have to like you don't even have to spend 60 80 million euros on a center back like like you just have just some smart signings like you mentioned Diallo like those are those would already improve Aleti a lot and and it wouldn't have and it wouldn't have cost as much so it's a bit we it's definitely a bit weird to see the recruitment decisions and uh, I feel like we do say this kind of often. It's like next summer is going to be a big one for Aleti. Next summer is going to be a big one for Aleti. And you always end up with these transfer windows where instead of like a super convincing signing, especially in the defensive areas, you get like a new round of like of what feels like an afterthought or an emergency patch. Exactly. To be honest, if I'm... Um... If not the f- not for the fact that Lim was kind of forcing uh, Gabriel out of Valencia, then the player we were about to sign is a 34-year-old at Atalanta who has played just two minutes this season. Can you believe that a club who are, who are in the Champions League and you get the president coming out and saying you have the president coming out and saying he believe that um, Aleti have to like chase for titles and also go as far as the quarterfinals or semifinals in the Champions League. But then you kind of see them in the transfer market not making moves that will really say that this is a team who wants to win La Liga again. This is a team who wants to like go out and fight for all the trophies. Well, I think Adaliti Chulu is kind of still, I would say, overperforming because given it's like the resources provided at his disposal, I kind of thought it's like let's buy a lot of players and let's allow this guy to figure out how things are going to be. Yeah, there's... We'll have yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see because it's it's always like because it that's the thing like it doesn't there are situations like when planning the squad where you're like it's impossible for the club for for a club to improve the squad or like there's just like the the op like sometimes like big clubs are stuck in situations where really like okay the option that would improve the squad is impossible for uh it's impossible for us to acquire we don't have the money like a player that would improve it is too expensive but yeah in the state of aleti's defense right now i really don't think that much spending is needed but i've but yeah i've always wondered like i've always wondered like how transfer decisions are made at aleti how much input does Jolo have because it really feels like as you mentioned that sometimes Sometimes it's not like he asks for a six and then he gets a player who who is not really 
who is not at least the six that is needed. There are players, like you mentioned, in other places that are not getting minutes and could still contribute uh, to Aleti. It's just, it really feels like low-hanging fruit in terms of recruitment, that a club like Aleti has the resources and pool to get those players. And then you just get these other solutions that are just riskier. Like, it was... Uh, like I Aspilicueta has been a guy who has had like great uh, who has had very reliable performance even into his later years but getting but signing a player at that age at that moment of his career was always going to be a risk so and that's what I was mentioning before of like at some point why do clubs pay money for to have some kind of like guaranteed performance level and at some point I do think that for defensive positions Aleti's at the point where it really has to do that spending. Uh, and I think you and I have talked like before the podcast that's like the attacking rotation looks great for next year. You're going to have Griezmann, Morata, Samuel Rodion, who's going to come next year. The attacking rotation is fine. And it just wouldn't surprise us if like they decide to go for uh, another attacker, even though it's not needed. So it's. It, like so sometimes it's really surprising where the club decides to spend its money yeah i think you have rightly touched on that and hopefully things change in the future um jesse i think maybe second to the last question um how do you think analytics is going to end do you think we end with the trophy or trophy i think man it's very complicated because the basque clubs have like a thing with the copa del rey so it's it's always a bit like like it's never like it's not an overstatement to say that Atletic is all is usually a big favorite for Copa del Rey. So it's Atletic in the Copa is a bit of a different business. So that's a bit concerning. I very much agree with you that um, if Atletic can get past that obstacle, I think they're in a very good position to go. To go win the Copa del Rey, so uh, and I do agree that there is an advantage about playing at home. So right now, if I had to bet money, like of course Athletic is very dangerous and very good, but I would bet money on like Atleti winning the Copa because I do think they are in a good position. They are in a good position to winning. They're doing the semifinal at home. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, we have to play the first leg at home, then the return leg at San Mames, and we all yeah, yeah, that's a very tough ground to visit. So, Jesse, maybe the last question to close uh, the pod is basically like quiz some five questions basically on the Madrid Derby, which I think, with your knowledge on Spanish football, should be easy peasy for you. So, no offense if the questions are kind of a little like because basically it's on the Madrid Derby, but I think more towards a little. Um, the first question is, um, who are the top players? Who are, who are the players who are featured in most Madrid debuts for both Atleti and Madrid? Who are the future players? Who are the players with the most appearances for Atleti and Madrid in the Madrid derby? In the Madrid derby? Man. Yeah. Man, I don't know. Like, I, this is exactly the kind of historical stuff yeah. I am terrible at. Uh... Yeah. In all of history, I mean, let's see who has the, let me think, who has the most appearances. So, 
I'm going to go, man, I'm bad at this. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that for Real Madrid, let's say... <laughs> let's make it Sanchez. Mm, not really. No, okay. And then for Aleti, man, like my first instinct to, would be like saying someone like Coque, but like, let's say Casillas and Coque, and I think these are wrong, but... Yeah, Koki corrects 4C, and then it's not Casillas, it's Ramos 43. Oh, so it would be Ramos. Yeah, that was like one of my other options. So I was, okay. That It's actually like kind of the more obvious names. Good to know. Yeah. Um, highest goal scorer for Madrid and highest goal scorer for Aleti in the Madrid derby. Highest goal scorer for Madrid in the derby. I mean, there's basically like two or three options here. So. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Ronaldo for Madrid. Yes, correct. And then for Aleti, huh? Griezmann. Wow, fantastic! Yes, wow. you are not as thing. I think you are better than Kai. like more than he did. Um, and the next question: uh, What's the highest um, defeat Aleti has suffered in the derby, and what's the highest defeat Madrid has suffered in the derby? Man, I'm not that. I have a feeling that probably there are games of decades ago that had like. I don't even remember what has been the worst score lines in the last few years. Like, when's. And also, I feel like the ones where Aleti like destroyed us, I probably erased from my memory just for. <laughs> just to protect myself. So uh, I don't remember the score lines, so I'm gonna have to pass on this one. So which ones are they? It's basically five zero each, five zero in each. Mm, interesting. And these ones were. When uh, did that, these happen? That for Aleti was basically in the nineties, and that for Real Madrid was something more recent. I think. Yeah, I'm sorry, it is. When uh, we were having our rough patch after we got relegated and then get we were back. I see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember the. Yeah, I don't remember those ones. Like I, I was around in be... the nineties, but <laughs> it should be easy. I think the players who have won both La Liga and for Aleti and Man Madrid. So what we won La Liga with both Aleti and Madrid. Players who've won the Liga with both Aleti and Madrid. Uh I'm trying to think, like, should we count? Do I count? They are only two. They're only two. Interesting. I think you should know the first. That should be easy. Uh, so, players that have been in both Aleti and Madrid, then... Uh, Llorente was not with us, I think, in the period that... Madrid won the league, so out of the recent ones, no. Then, then recently, wait, was Morata there in the league-winning season for Aleti? No, no. Damn it! Um, and then for some reason, like the first another name that comes to mind is like Schuster, but no, no, no. Now the thing he yeah. won with guys, they're not with us. Damn it, I'm bad at this. So, which ones? Oh, yes. 
2014 and then he has won two with you guys, which is 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you have Jose Luis Perez, your namesake. Uh, but it was oh. It was so. It was so while ago. Yeah, but how did I forget Devo? That's true. That's the. That's then, the obvious one. Then the last question. Name five players who have played for both Atleti and Madrid. That should be easy. Yeah. So now we have Thibo, Schuster, um, Morata, Llorente. Um, let me think about. <laughs> let me think about more recent. More recent ones. Someone who has made. You know these things. When I think about them, like on my own, I remember them easily. But then. Uh, then somebody asks me, and I always forget. Um, and then what could be another one, like re- maybe more recent? Uh, I'm struggling to come up with another one. Spurs, 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 Spurs. Think of Spurs. <laughs> Think of Spurs. Think of Spurs. Oh yes, Regilon. Exactly. Well, you have many. Okay, you have. Um... Jean Fran, Adan, Antonio Reyes, oh, yeah. Solari. Jurado. Jurado, too. Yeah, Jurado, yeah. Well, Jose Perez, not bad. I think you are F. as more your best. Five out of ten. You're better than most who have come here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not bad. You're better than most So, uh, congratulations. And uh, Guy, it was really, really amazing discussing with you and uh, your knowledge about them. Um, Spanish football and also what you have been doing over the years covering La Liga has been great. So hopefully next time, see you on another episode. Yes, uh, thanks for the invite, man. I I I love talking about football with you. So I look forward to coming uh like uh, to coming up on the pod sometime soon. So thanks, man. Yeah, hopefully that will be when we beat you guys in the Champions League final. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you if you are listening up to this point thank you dear, dear listeners and remember nunca deja de cre never stop believing and see you next time